Welcome back to Daily Dose of Random. I am your host, Channing Smith. This is the podcast where you may know the title or topic of discussion, but you will rarely know where our adventure will take us. Wherever you are, whoever you are, I'm sure you'll find something in this episode that will make you curious about the world around you. So sit back, relax, drink some water, or eat some snacks, and join me as we dive into today's topic. How do we recognize music? Do you recognize that? If you've been living under a rock for your entire life, maybe you don't. But for the vast majority of us, that song may remind you of one of dozens of different movies or videos that use that song. You may not know the name of it, though. In fact, before writing the script, I didn't know the name of it either, because it's classical music and they named songs, let's just say, very differently than they do today. It's Piano Sonata Number 11 in A Major K 3113 by Mozart. But why does this sound instantly remind us that it's something we've heard before, and why can we tell it's classical? Over the past few years, I've gotten deeper and deeper into music, and as much as modern music has its upsides, it's important to appreciate the classics. I'm mainly referring to a lot of artists that became popular in the 1900s, like The Beatles, Elvis, Frank Sinatra, Jimi Hendrix, Queen, and the list could go on forever. But the deeper I dive into music, the larger my music library becomes. Avid readers know dozens, if not hundreds, of books, which they can remember details from years later. Movie buffs make references to the stories that transform them into who they are today by re-watching the films they define as cornerstones of the industry. Music listeners are no different. As much as we find new music on a pretty regular basis, we still make plenty of time to listen to the songs we have listened to hundreds of times before. In my humble opinion, music is integrated into our brains far deeper than any other form of art. Music has been a part of the human experience for many, many years, and millions upon millions of songs have been written, passed down from previous generations, forgotten about, or became classics. So I was curious, why can we recognize music so quickly? You may not have even known the name of the song I played earlier, or who made it. It doesn't even have lyrics, yet you recognize it as a song you've heard before. Is this the same thing that's happening as normal memories? Or is there something special about music that makes it all the more recognizable to the masses? So I decided to start from the beginning. Not the beginning of music, that might not ever be possible, but I decided to start from an experience all of us have shared. It doesn't matter who you are, if you're tall, short, rich, poor, kind, rude, this experience you've shared with everyone from Ronald Reagan to Kim Kardashian to any dictator you'd like to name, all the way to Jeffrey Bezos. We were all children once. And children cry. And as children, we develop the ability to recognize things. Whether that be the voice of our mother, sounds we make when we shake things around, or the sound of a lullaby, but do babies actually know what they're hearing, or do they simply just remember the pitches and pacing of things, to the point of which we may call recognition, but to the young children may just be a guess? I wish I could ask these questions to my formal self, but I cannot. So I did as most of us do today when we don't know an answer. I googled it. And apparently, there have been a plethora of studies done, and it has shown that babies in their third trimester of the womb, 
not even outside of the womb, in the third trimester, when the baby is inside the womb, can start to recognize music. And we know this because some of the studies had mothers play very controlled melodies to their children before and after childbirth. And what we found was that children responded better to melodies the mothers played before childbirth than otherwise unheard music. So hearing is one of the five senses we have, and music is virtually the best way we can hear. So we can use music in a lot of unique ways as opposed to other forms of art that may just be visual. It's easier for us to remember the lyrics of a song that has evoked an extremely intense emotion in us than it is for us to remember basic things like where we left our wallet or what we ate the day before. Unless accompanied by an emotional context, details such as our meals tend to slip away from our memory. However, curiously enough, the taste of a birthday cake enjoyed this year is likely to remain vividly etched on the walls of the caverns of your mind. For another example, you can close your eyes and remember what your spouse's eyes look like in fine, beautiful detail. Replace your spouse with your boss and your memory falls short. But why? It's because the emotion and feelings that are tied to those senses allow you to remember them. Humans are very good at picking up subtleties in body language, emotions, or how we perceive others. It's the reason we can decipher the acting skills of a college film student short film and The Godfather. Marlon Brando, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino are the Corleones. We believe it because they believe it, and we can distinguish that. Music evokes emotion in you, whether you like it or not. Pop music makes you want to get up and dance and put your windows down on a cool summer day. Jazz makes you want to curl up on a couch and drink some wine or slow dance before dinner. French jazz music makes my cooking taste better and no one can convince me otherwise. The Rocky soundtrack makes you want to get up and work out harder than you ever have before. It's remarkable, truly, what music can do for us and our emotions. Your memories are tied with the songs you're listening to. Boring music in the elevator, happy music in the car. The memories we associate with music extend beyond the melodies themselves. It's the amalgamation of every other experience intertwining with the music that transforms it into a captivating soundtrack for your life. It's the symphony of sounds resonating when you triumphed in a game, shared a tender first kiss, or discovered the miracle of pregnancy. We recognize music because sounds and music are ingrained in our brains since before we were born. We remember music because it's a thing in the background that accompanies us when we are living life. Music literally comes from the heart inside of all of us. It's called a heartbeat for a reason. I actually don't know if that's why it's called a heartbeat, but you know, beat, beat, it's the same word. Music also releases dopamine in our brains. Dopamine, if you don't already know, has been a buzzword over the past few years since things like a dopamine fast or detox have been on the rise with the rise of social media and other outlets that release it. It's the name of a chemical that is released as a sort of reward system for humans. It's a neurotransmitter that is curated in the brain and released to the nervous system. It's involved in all sorts of bodily functions like movement, memory, behavior, attention, all the way up to things like motivation, lactation, arousal, mood, and feeling of a sense of pleasure. It's also involved in your body's fight or flight system. Simply put, dopamine is critical for the human body to operate and as a reward system type chemical, when it's released when we partake in a certain activity, like listening to our favorite songs, it can summon us to the exact moments in our life when we heard that song. 
Music has a remarkable ability to transform us and transport us to familiar places, although not in a literal sense. When you listen to a long-forgotten song, prepare to experience a flood of nostalgia washing over you. So what does any of this have to do with recognizing music? Well, simply put, if your brain is literally wired to receive information, process it, and output information, which could be a sense of emotion, a release of certain chemicals, or thrusting air from your lungs up through our throat, out in our mouth in certain shapes that other humans have deemed to be intelligent. Did you understand what I just said? Probably not. I made it needlessly complicated. But how absolutely remarkable is it that we can tell our brain, okay, brain, we need some air coming out from our lungs, and then the brain does it, and then we tell our throat to open and close at a certain amount, then we tell our tongue to move in a very specific way, then we tell our mouth to open in a very specific way, then the air comes out at a certain rate, then all of that is combined with a multitude of different variations of all of that to not just blurt out sound, but comprehensive words that you're listening to right now. You understand everything I'm saying, and I'm doing all of that in before you can even blink. That makes no sense. But anyways, your brain is literally created to do all of that and much more. It's also created to create neural pathways between chemical release agents, such as dopamine and things that we experience, like sound and more specifically music. Not a direct path between the two, but two paths entangled in the same way from things like a visual and a release agent. By the way, I'm not a neuroscientist, so if I say anything incorrect, I do apologize for that. That is not my intention. But in my brain-sized brain, this is how I understand it. Say you're an architect and you design a supermarket. Say you're an architect and you also design a house. These two things are generally built in different areas of a city. So what do you need to get from one another, the architect, you, you design some roads. But since you're not forklift certified, you need other people to build those things. So how do we communicate to the construction crew how to build it? Well, you create some blueprints. Eventually, the construction crew is able to build all that is needed, and they're able to have some time off. If you need food, for example, you'll drive from your house to the supermarket and back. Think of the town as your brain. Think of your house and the supermarket as two separate nodes within your brain. Think of the roads as those neural pathways that the construction crew works so hard to build. Think of the ingredients and eventually the dish you cook as the dopamine your body released when you traveled on the road. In other words, the reward for driving on that road. The blueprints is the music you listen to when designing those roads. Lastly, think of the architect as you. You are the architect of your reality. Someone taught you how to create, but that's a conversation for another day. But what happens when you have such an integral cooking experience that completely opens your mind to new possibilities, new passion, new ideas, etc.? Well, the architect, again, you, has to get back to designing, and eventually the construction crew has to change the road into a two-lane road. Think of the first lane of the road as the house-to-supermarket-to-receive-food relationship. Think of the second lane as the emotional involved in your passion for cooking relationship. Both are involved with the house, the same roads, the supermarket, and the same food. One has a reward involved, the food, and one has the emotion involved, the passion for cooking something new. Your brain does the exact same thing with memories and things like emotion 
or things like a memory and a piece of music. All of that is to say, when your brain needs to find a place to receive something as complicated as a reward for the passion of cooking or something equivocal, it knows to drive to the supermarket. In other words, it knows it needs to activate that very specific neural pathway that two-lane road made long ago. Using the town example, the more you use a specific neural pathway, the more ingrained it is in your brain. Instead of that second lane being made of the same asphalt, it's made with concrete. Sometimes the supermarket is replaced with your spouse. Something so incredible and beautiful needs an extremely strong pathway because it's someone you love. And I would argue that love is the strongest emotion a brain can allow its inhabitant to feel. Maybe not even concrete is enough. Sometimes love is pure steel. So when your brain needs to recall something like the color of your spouse's eyes, it goes on its imaginary GPS and looks up movie theater and starts to take you on a journey throughout this town example. When your brain hears a piece of music, it goes right on that GPS and does the same things. Sometimes there are new roads to be created. Sometimes they're already made, entangled with a glass road, sometimes a road made of dirt or steel, sometimes a graphene autobahn refined from ores mined in the deepest caverns of the human experience. Sometimes the supermarket is on the way to the movie theater, so your brain is forced to experience the emotion you'd go on in going to the supermarket as well. Simply put, your brain is a complex network of roads and destinations, all of which are entangled in ways, ironically, the human brain fails to fully capture the magnitude of. It's hard to imagine just how complex the human brain is, mainly because it's also just not a town. It's an entire galaxy composed of tens of billions of destinations called neurons and trillions upon trillions, literally, of different roads called neuroed pathways and an almost incomprehensibly large black hole at the center of all of it called you. As I conclude this episode, I want you to realize the importance of everything I have told you today. It's not about music. Again, I understand that my analogy is not perfect, but I hope you can at least understand that not all of this is important, but that this is all important. This is you. Understanding the complex nature of the world is not just the job of scientists, but all of us to explore. We all have a responsibility to truly understand the world around us. We all have an obligation to do great and to do great things, but you'll never design a well-made road without understanding first that the road needs to be built. So do me a favor and sit on these things and ponder wander into those supermarkets and movie theaters and truly think about what you are and who you are. I'll end with a quote from Dr. Seuss. Today you are you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. If you're still listening, I appreciate the time you've taken out of your day to listen to my thoughts, and I would be honored if you would join me in the next episode, where we will be discussing superheroes. Stay random, and as always, be the USU you can be today. <laughs>